as we've been speaking the last, uh, you know, several weeks now about God's attributes. You know, we started out months ago about now that God has saved us and we're his, what does he expect us to do? What is the Christian life? And I just like reiterating this. And to me, it really boils down with Romans 12, 1 and 2. We live righteously, right? We, we, we dedicate, we make that choice. We're going to live for him in our daily lives, everything we do. And then in chapter, verse 2 of Romans 12, right? And then we also purpose, because he is determined to get to know him. And we know him through his word. And as we read that word, it transforms us. Literally, it's not just the word, right? Because only the spirit, once the spirit comes upon us, then he opens up, that opens up scripture to us and we understand him. And the only truly way to know God is through scripture. And I, I like saying this because actually there, there's two huge things that I see are combining together to really bring a lot of, to use a very nice word, let's just say confusion, to, let's say, immature, immature brethren. And that is the so-called like presence of God or getting to know God, and they use all these Eastern mystical pagan practices, and they Christianize them. But they're all unbiblical. And are, right, then they say, well, yeah, a certain prayer form is, or say certain words, or quote a scripture a certain way with a certain understanding, and then, then you'll really come into his presence. You really get to know him. When the Bible just says knowing is the same as I would know Janet or Bev or Shar. But the more I converse with you and was around you, I would know you better and better and better. It's the same thing. It's not a mystery in that aspect, right? What is amazing is that the God of all the whole universe, the eternal, all-powerful, holy God, would choose to let us have a relationship with him. But with that, I was just saying, how do we know God? But and we talked all about God as a Trinity, but we've come in these last few weeks to start looking at his attributes. And an attribute is a fancy way to say it, right? When you attribute something to someone, right? That describes a, a quality about them, something about them. And with God's attributes, what are some things that describe him, that are attributed to him, that that, that are his, right? They describe his character, his being, you know, the kind of person he is. You know, like I would attribute, you know, someone I knew that was very kind and merciful. That person is kind and merciful, you know, and so on. So attributes. We looked at the last two weeks. We looked at his internality, that God all that God is. Before, God has always been. God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost have always existed. And then he created. He started to create. And he created everything. Then we looked at he's all-powerful. Not only does he hold immense power, but he has all power. Right? That any power that exists right, is just really relegated from him. There is no power outside of God. Right? He is life. And I talked about that really for God to take life. It's just simply God stops giving it. Right? Because by him, we live and move and have our being. Right? Everything. But now I want to look at something we talk about a lot here from different aspects of it, but God's sovereignty. What do I mean by that? That God is sovereign. 
And actually, if you look, at least in the King James Bible that I read of, and as far as I know, they, they might have transposed it, you don't find that exact word sovereign in Scripture. It's just a doctrine that's been around since the beginning of the church that they formulated to describe that God rules over all. He rules over his whole creation. To give you an idea, just so we understand, what does sovereignty, what is sovereign? When someone is sovereign, what does it mean? Above or superior to all others. Chief, greatest, supreme, supreme in power, rank, and authority, holding the position as a ruler, royalty, reigning, independent of all others. So when you grasp that, that's why we who like, you know, like Mike and myself and Dean and others who always study and teach and teach doctrine, you get that word sovereignty, right? That he reigns, he's above all, he's supreme. He and he alone holds, holds the absolute power, rank, and authority over all his creation. Just want to open up with some, you know, some scripture passages that mention that. Though I'll just say to Mike, I could literally just start reading, and you want to read one that directly, directly speak to this. Literally, could just I could just read scripture for the whole time here, right? Ones that directly say. But turn to Psalms ninety six. In Psalm ninety six. We'll just see, I like, I like this passage of scripture because so many times in just a few Psalms it's directly mentioned. But Psalms 96, verse 10. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established and shall not be moved. Right, but I like that. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. Go to Psalm 97, 1. What's the first thing it says there? The Lord reigneth. Go to Psalm 99, 1. The Lord reigneth. Go to Psalm 103. Just laying down here, does the Bible make this very clear to us, right? Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Everyone say ruleth, right? Ruleth, reigneth, right? He has absolute power over all. And there are several more, but before we get into that, turn to Isaiah chapter 46. And <laughs> right, love all the Bible, but I think you'll see uh, this is one of my particular favorites is Isaiah, and particularly Isaiah in the 40s. But Isaiah chapter 46, starting in verse 8. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Whew. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, 
The man that executed my counsel from a far country, this is the part, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. And we, we even talked about before, and we came up when we went over a lot of these verses, but if you recall from the last two, it's the same one, right? The Lord does what he pleases in heaven and earth, right? He will do, and who will let it, right? No one can stop it. He does his will. And he doesn't need anyone's permission to do it because he's sovereign over all. Amen? Well, I want us to read that, but then I also want to go, does it make that clear in the New Testament? Or is there anything different, you know, is, is, right? Nothing has changed. We said that. God cannot change. God cannot lie. Right? He cannot do anything out of his character, for he is God. He's eternal God. He's the same He's always been the same. He always will be the same, right? But go to Ephesians chapter 1. This is where we really want to start delving into this. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 11. And this is going to be very familiar to us. And of course, we use this at at all times. But right, it's amazing because this doctrine holds not just for what we mainly think of it as, proving the doctrine of election. But let's read on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In whom, is talking about, you know, in Christ, also we have attained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So we understand that when we talk about all, what does all things mean, all things. And, you know, we, we, we've, we've discussed that and we've taught on it many, many times here in this church over the years. And when we talk about that, we, we talk about that. He's talking there specifically about those in Christ, right? We predestinate it because it's God's will. But you notice it's not just our salvation, though praise God for it. It's that... Everything is predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You know, we just read in that, he declares the end from the beginning. What does he mean there? He's saying, right, the things that are coming to pass near the end, right, I declared from the beginning. I decreed it. I say, it will be done because I purposed it. And no one will let it. I will bring it to pass. Because he is determined to do so by the counsel of his own will. Now there's a few words we want to look at that. The first one, give me the right order when we read that. We need to understand a few things. So one thing in this area, he worketh all things into the counsel. After his counsel. So what does the counsel mean? So in the beginning, before God created started creating everything, there was a divine deliberation in the Godhead. Right? And this divine deliberation was inter-Trinitarian, as I said. It was like a consultation. Like, could you imagine? <laughs> he considered every possibility, every circumstance, everything. And after this council, then 
They made a decision. Their will. God's will. A divine decision which is all-inclusive. It encompasses all that comes to pass. And we say, you know, we can, re we can read a lot of things, but it counsels all like, for instance, right, we know we talk a lot about salvation, right? Before, go back to Ephesians chapter 4 there, right? Ephesians, I mean, chapter 1, verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him, before what? You can, before the foundation of the world. So in other words, right, right, in the beginning was God, right? And what did he do, right? He, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So before this time, because then the foundations of the world were set. So before he created, they had this divine counsel, right? And he chose us and him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. And here's what I want to see. It's not just salvation and praise God for his salvation. Because we know salvation is of the Lord. But we got to look, this is one of the, such a great passage to help us start considering, you know, that's all-inclusive. Not just those that he had mercy upon and reveal himself to, but all things. Right? Because verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, praise God, but here's the word, according to the good pleasure of his will. He made that decision. He made that decision. But just imagine... In the eons of time the past, I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, I mean, thousands of years later, I was born. And then, nearly 20 years after that, the Lord revealed himself to me. So I'll just say 6,600, 6,700 years before I was born. But even before that, whatever, but at least before that, God chose that he'd adopt me as a son. But... So since he has that in our lives, why are we so worried about any other thing, right? He determines, we know from Scripture, we've talked about it before, he determines when we're born, he determines what we're going to do, right? He directs our paths, right? I just want to think, in, in, in Scripture, you don't have to go there, but recall in Genesis 15, we have the story there. Actually, just turn there for a minute. It just sings when we see about this that is absolute you know, sovereignty, because most, almost all the false teachings out there attack his sovereignty in one way or another, right? Like saying he needs permission, or now it's changed, or he won't override man's free will, or, you know, well, he works this way in some things, but I want you to see, you know, Mike's mentioned it before on several different occasions, but what makes the Bible unique and the Christian religion unique is the fulfillment of prophecy. The absolute fulfillment, proven fulfillment of prophecy. That long before certain things have happened, God has determined, he's shown that in Scripture time and time and time and time again. But this particular way, for instance, Genesis 15, go to Genesis 15, and in verse 13 of Genesis 15, and he said, the Lord, Unto Abram, know of a surety, this is surely going to happen, that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. 
and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come up with a great substance. Was that fulfilled? Several hundred years later, this is before Isaac, and before Isaac gave birth to Jacob, and Jacob, if I recall, I, I'll just want to say he was roughly, I think, about almost 130 years old when he came to Egypt. So this was a while, right? But it's to a T. If we, went, if we wanted to read through the Exodus and the deliverance out of Egypt, we find that that exactly happened. The same amount of time did they serve, you know, were they there? And they came out with great immense wealth. But, and here it's further shown us in Scripture. Go to Genesis 45. Genesis 45. Okay, yep. 45, down, down at verse 5. And this is just where, right, Joseph's brothers, which sold him into slavery in Egypt, right, and sinned grievously. But they were worried now that their dad, you know, the story that, you know, Joseph would then take retribution upon them. We know the story. But Genesis 45, verse 5. This is his brothers, right? Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with your son. No, he's, he's saying to his brothers, Joseph is, Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there is neither be hearing nor harvest, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And like, so they get even more clear, verse 8, so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And we go to Genesis 50, and there it said, you, you know, you devised evil for me, but God meant it for good. It doesn't mean that that was plan B. You know, there's people that twist these Bibles, and they just don't understand them, whether it's on purpose, and they're wolves, or they're just completely ignorant. They're immature and think they are mature, and they're teaching when they should not be. Either way, it's false. We got to understand, it wasn't a plan B. Oh, <sighs> Oh, Joseph's brothers have gone ahead and sinned. Now, now what am I going to do? You know what? I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that for a deliverance. Remember, hundreds of years earlier, he said, no, you're going to be delivered. Well, so he sent Joseph ahead. You know, everyone keeps thinking it's so amazing to think of God parting the Red Sea, God raining brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah. But generally speaking, he works in the lives of, he works in and through his creation. It doesn't, Look miraculous, as we call it. But we already see hundreds of years earlier. These things had to happen. He sent Joseph ahead. He, he worked all the circumstances out in Joseph's life so Joseph would become the highest man in the land just under Pharaoh. He'd have Pharaoh's total favor, so why? So when his people came in, they would have total favor. And he sent the, and he sent the famine throughout all the earth, so he'd drive the people there. Because right, we as people are pretty thick-headed. You know, but he's, he, he arranged all of that because that, that was his purpose. Remember, that's why he can declare the end from the beginning because he decreed it. He's in charge of it. He rules over it. It's not just that he rules over and he's passive or, okay, what am I going to do? 
You know, now Howard has done this, or Howard's done that, or Howard's doing this. Now what am I going to do with what he's done? No, he directs, he directed my steps. He purposes whatsoever, right? He does whatsoever. And that's why, you know, like we talked about it before, mentioned it, when we talked about he had all, he has all power, and I mentioned it. But if you recall, David, who obviously trained for years to be a mighty warrior and handle weapons, he attributed all his strength and his skill unto God. Why? Because he knows that God gave him that. Right? The scriptures tell us, what do you have that you did not receive? You know, but he's sovereign. So those things help us to understand that it's his purpose that he reigns over all. He's, go ahead, Mike. Mm -hmm. He intervened yeah. You know, yeah. And the reason I touch on that is we understand, you know, God's sovereignty, but at times we get we get maybe you know confused and not kind of understand. God's sovereignty and his power, but when he sovereignly reigns, he doesn't react. He's not reacting to things happening in time. <clears throat> yeah, you know, and that's what all is when he says, well, he reacts, right? And the thing about it, the Bible does not teach that. He's in supreme power. We see that he reigns. And then people will say, okay, well, let's turn there for a minute. Romans chapter 9. So, and I'll just say this, and of course, right here, it's funny. I just got to say this. You know, it, I wasn't going to, but we've been accused of who people leave here because they say we don't talk about the gospel enough. It amazes me. Right? We mention and bring it in uh, practically every teaching and every sermon, but okay, but we, we love doing that, right? So then, and a lot of times we attribute this to speaking of salvation, and we should praise God that God the Son became a man and died for our sins. And having faith in that, right, believing that, we are promised eternal life and forgiven of all sins. Praise God. But then also, we, this goes right in with his absolute sovereignty. Now, he's sovereign in salvation, which, as we say, that's the most important thing in our lives. Trust me. <laughs> but verse 16 of Romans 9, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Well, okay, does not Scripture teach us? Why don't we apply that to every aspect of life? He's in charge of it all. You know, you know to turn there, but remember in James, when he, he, they were being actually reproved 
saying, these, these men are to go into a city and they'll say, tomorrow we'll go to such and such a place and make, well, do business. I'm paraphrasing here, but do business, transact, you know, everything will be grand. You know, it basically because you fools. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. What you should say, if the Lord wills, we'll go and do this or that and prosper. Right? If the Lord wills. You know, that's why you said sufficient for the day is evil thereof. Don't keep getting caught up in things of what may happen. You know, there's so many, right? Doctrine keeps building upon doctrine. Everything goes in there. But go down here when he says, uh, verse 19, Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Well, that comes in salvation, but also it's right. People could say that. Say that, well, you know, I'm bringing this in since he reigns. Because I want to say this, I think we can get a hold of this, but we got to understand something. That does not negate our responsibility at all. We just need to understand that he is in absolute charge and control of everything that happens. Right? He's already decreed it from the beginning. It'll come about as he has purposed. Right? Sovereign decree. But also, you know, when they say that, they understand right here, <clears throat> they said. Well, how can God find fault in anything? For we're just doing his will. Right? Well, verse 20. Nay, but, oh man, who art thou that replies against God? I just think it reminds me of Job when God said, Will you condemn me so you'll be justified? The same thing. Who are you to reply against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel in honor, another into dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? I'll leave that one out there and won't say it. Hmm, fitted to destruction, prepared for. But, and that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. I say all of that, right, to encapsulate this point, right? Now we know, and it's so clear there, that he and he alone saves, and it's his choice, not ours. <clears throat> That's true in every other aspect of life. Just like in Genesis, when he, when he decided, you know, to bring them into Israel. Well, why couldn't he just not have the famine there? Why not have the famine in other places than that where Jake... Because, nope, God's will was that they'd come down into Egypt. And why also we're told in Romans 9, if you go there, if you remember we talked about this, because also he had another purpose in that. He was going to be glorified in the destruction of Pharaoh and his army. He was going to be glorified. He had purposed that hundreds of years earlier. Actually, more than that, we're just revealed to us that he had, those, he had set those plans in motion in the very beginning. But going back to Ephesians 1, or you can just let's call caught up this, because I get I just get excited about scripture, amen. I, I, I get excited about reading, about talking about God. But that second word after is counsel, so they made divine deliberation, right? That considers every possibility or circumstance. They came to a will that's a divine decision, it's all inclusive, encompasses all that comes to pass. There's no end to all that God prescripted as author of his eternal decrees. Okay. Now, then the word purpose. Remember, these are all 
words we're looking at in Ephesians 1, verse 11. Purpose, divine determination, his resolve. You know, to resolve, like, we may resolve to do something. Like, you know, I resolve I'm going to clean my car. I'm just thinking it's something really simple, right? And then, you know, I mean, I can do it because I choose to do that. Well, hopefully, you know, I, nothing happens to me or whatever. I resolve I'm going to find a better job, whatever it is. It's in the Lord's hands. That's not fully in my power, right? Things can happen. But when God resolves to do something, imagine that. He, was, he was forever and eternal and all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present resolves to do something, just as it said, right? I have declared it. I have purposed it. I will do it. It shall come to pass. Okay, his resolve, God is determined, absolutely determined to carry out his purpose. And his purpose, he purpose, and who will let? No one and nothing can stop it. And then, of course, predestined goes right along with it, right? Guaranteed to come to pass. Now, we, we go into this, right? You know, does that mean all things? And it does mean all things. It does mean all It does mean all things, right? I mean, if we're told that he he's the one who brings one into power, he's the one who drags one down into power, he exalts a nation, he pulls it down, if he's, if he's in charge of all the major things in life and all the powerful people in life and our very salvation, isn't he not in charge of everything? Is it, is it so hard to understand that he has purposed everything? We just, can we fully understand that? No, because we're created beings. We're not God, right? His understanding is unsearchable to us. But he's revealed a lot to us. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yep, or evil, yep. You gain credit for it, or evil. That one would think they're so evil, God can never save them. No, he, in his foreknowledge, ordained that. He knew that, because he's up Yep. Yep. Amen. Let's uh, think about this. Creation itself. We think of three basics of this turns down into this sovereignty. And of course, we can branch out in all kinds of things, but I want to say three overall basics, right? First of all, in creation, right? Everything came into being out of nothing as an exercise of his sovereign will and purpose. All creation is here because he purposed it to be so. I mean, he obviously rules over all, Right? Here's a little creation. Again, we repeated this before, but quickly, we're just going to go to Psalms 33. Psalms 
Psalms 33 in uh, in 6. And we read this before, but it's just so good, and it's good to go with because, right, doctrine builds upon doctrine. And, all, and the more you know, more doctrines you know, the more you appreciate them, they come into being, and you can put them in as you read through the Bible, and you gain more and more understanding. But Psalm 33, in verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Again, according to his divine purpose. He, it was an exercise of his sovereign will. Right, to do that. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Amen. Right? Thy kingdom come, Lord. Right? Thy will be done. But for he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Only a sovereign ruler can command, and it's done. I mean, we, we've never done that. We're in America. I got rights. I'm American. Right? I'll tell you, if you grew up in, that's only been for a short period of time. Before that, you lived under some sovereign ruler like a king. And of course, we know God puts kings in a place to remove them. God put this ungodly man binding in office, but he did it. He decreed it to be so, because we're in the judgment. And, and, and the, may the Lord have mercy upon this nation, but the Lord bringeth the counsel to heathen the not. Verse 10. So, whatever they're counseling, whatever they're determining, whatever they resolve to do, what is the Lord in his will if he chooses to do so? What does he do? He'll bring that counsel to not. No. It will not stand. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. Anyone wants to stand against him? Anyone trying to do anything that would go against the already decree and purpose and will of God, it will not happen. Because it cannot happen because he's God. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord, counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations, forever. Right? Now drop down and just imagine, he gives us some things to consider here. Drop down to verse 16. There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. In other words, no matter how large an army is, how large an army is that goes to battle, they are only going to prevail if the Lord has willed it to be so. doesn't matter how big they are. Imagine that there will be that time where there will be armies of the whole world thinking they'll not only be thinking take a stand against God because they believed all this nonsense we are. They all think they're a bunch of IMs. That's not going to last. Not going to turn out too well for them. But, and a mighty man is not delivered by much strength. In other words, you may be a strong man. You may have a lot of fighting skill, whatever it is, right? But if you're delivered from something, it's the Lord. That's his point, what he said earlier. You got, you got to keep everything in context. Verse 17, a horse is a vain thing for safety. Right? It's it's worthless. If you're trusting the Lord, in a horse, better to trust in the person, the one who created that horse. Right? Because he determines it, right? Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Great strength. And there's a point. We sometimes can read past scripture 
And not really deeply meditate. That's what it means. Read scripture and then think on it. And you start, wow. Right? But that's for everything. <clears throat> that's for everything. Okay. Uh, the other thing. He, of course, is sovereign over history. Or some people like saying his story. But it's really true because we know he decreed the end from the beginning. And that's why he can give those prophecies because he already know he determined it to happen. Right? He determined it to happen. It's just in his perfect timing will what he decreed happen. What he decreed happened, but it was decreed from the foundation of the world to happen as such. And we, so we know in history, right, that he directs all things. And just going back to, you know, Psalm 33, 10, and 11, which we just read, he brings it there. Romans 8, 28, you don't have to turn there. It's a very familiar passage, right? And it's concerning us, his people, who makes all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. They always work out for our good, to, for our transformation more and more to the image of Christ. But the only way that that verse is true and possible is if he is and exercises absolute control presently, now, every moment. That's the only way that's, po that's possibly a truth and a promise we can stand on. And of course we know it is. And the, the other thing it goes upon, and we, I've mentioned it, we've mentioned it here and there, is salvation. His salvation. Right? And I just read there in Ephesians, right? He has purposed before the foundation of the world that all of us who are sitting here that believe on him would come to faith in him and be forgiven, be saved, be given eternal life. He had purposed it, and he will do it. No one can let it. If you determine for the foundation of the world that you will be saved, you will be saved. Amen? Because he will believe. And it won't be a choice you make. You'll believe. If you think back, think of that time that you came to believe. Did you say to yourself, well, that sounds good. I think I'll believe that. Or did you believe it? You know what I mean? Praise God. He opens up your eyes, right? I believe. Not that I choose to believe. I just believed it. Anyway, I want to close with a couple other things. But another thing, Amos 3.6. Is there calamity in a city and not the Lord that hath done it? It's a rhetorical question. Of course he did it. So whether it's good or evil, it can't be charged. We've got to remember, it doesn't make us robots. We make, we make real choices. They have real consequences. We're held, we're held to our consequences. We've talked about that. And we're going to talk more next week, Lord willing, <laughs> about not putting this in its proper perspective and how it goes with what about our responsibility. But I want us to get down and understand right now about that he is sovereign. But think about this. Go to Acts chapter 2, and we'll finish with this, just looking at Acts, right? The most momentous thing in all of human history, I mean, as far as we're concerned, that's for sure, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, right? The crucifixion, the murder of our Lord, Jesus Christ. But Acts 2 Verse 23, him, speaking of Jesus Christ, being delivered by what? The determinate, the determined, right? The resolute, the resolve 
<laughs> the counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken, and by wicked hands are crucified and slain. Okay, to back that up, go to Acts chapter 4. Uh, Acts chapter 4, go to verse, <laughs> starting in verse 26. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, right, human leaders, <laughs> with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, so everybody, right, were gathered together. I just wanted, if people want to talk free will, why did he override a lot of people's free will? Verse 28, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined came to resolve about, right, before the foundation of the world, to be done. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes we can read past it and we know that and, and praise God for sending his son. And praise our Lord for being willing. You know, praise our Lord Jesus for being willing. But we got to understand this goes in all aspects, but so importantly in our salvation, that was determined. But when he talks about in Romans 8, 28, how, why should this? How does this? People talk about application. Okay, well, it should be very obvious. The better we comprehend his sovereignty in all affairs, all affairs of his creation, which is everything, right? There was God. Everything else is created. Then why do we fret and worry? I'm not saying right, we're perfect, we have weaknesses, we got no strength. But the thing about it is, right, what does he say? Fear is because we haven't perfected in love. When we understand the power and the greatness and the resolute determination of our Lord and his promises, the more we understand those things, right, and who he is, the more we'll love him and understand his love for us, and the more we understand that, right, the more we'll perfect it, and the less and less fear we'll have in our lives. When we have that fear, then we just know, it. well, it's because we might be saying something, we might, we might understand something, but are we truly comprehending it to where we're, our, our best ability to do so? And I was saying in a lot of cases not, right? I mean, it, it's something that grows as our knowledge of him grows. So, does anyone have any, any last comments? Feel free. <laughs> well, with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you. We thank you that you, the one true, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God, has moved by your power and your determination and your purpose to save us.
and also to give us your word, to open up the eyes of our understanding so that by your word and by the working of the Holy Spirit within us, we can grow in our understanding of you and that we can become more and more settled and more and that transformation that you have promised becomes more and more apparent and real in our lives. Father, Father, may you give unto us greater and greater understanding of you so that we would become more and more settled, that we would become better servants, stronger witnesses for you in this world, Lord. Lord, we also pray for the upcoming service. May your word, may your word you know, have its purpose to teach, to instruct, to reprove, to correct, whatever is needed, Lord. And Lord, may any lost who may be attending or listening elsewhere, may the word delivered today be that word, Lord, that you use to open up their eyes, that they would come to faith, that those lost sheep would come back into the fold and be saved. May you be glorified in our midst today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.